You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Chris Trotter is a living legend and a doyen of the left, and someone that I have enormous respect for, even though we don't agree on most things politically. But in the last few years, these events have made for strange bedfellows in politics, and so Chris and I are going to have a little chat about politics and where we're heading in this year's election. He is this week's political tragic. Welcome to The Crunch, Chris. How are you? I'm, I'm very well, thank you for having me, Cam. Uh, some people uh, who are not up with the play on politics uh, who listen to the show think that calling people like yourself and myself and other guests that are in my political tragics segment is derogatory or demeaning. But you don't take it that way, do you? No, 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 not at all. I, I understand completely. You're You're talking to people for whom politics is, if not an obsession, then certainly something that takes up a great deal of their waking moments and a, a, a great deal of their, their, uh, their mental energy. And, and some would say that life is simply too short uh, for so much time to be devoted to such a vexing subject, uh, hence, hence the expression tragic yeah. or tragics, plural. <laughs> yeah. So I, I look on politics in like New Zealand, we don't have a lot of heroes. We've got rugby players and cricket players and netball players. Uh, we don't, most of our heroes are sports people. And we don't have a royal family because they're so far away, right? And, and a Republican like you doesn't have them as heroes anyway. Um, oh, I'm a very bad Republican these days, <laughs> I have to say. Queen Elizabeth reigned so long that she undermined my Republican values <laughs> <laughs> to, to an alarming extent. Although I have to say... Cam, that King Charles is quite rapidly rebuilding them, but you know that's possibly another discussion. Well, luckily he'll be a short-lived monarch, hopefully. Uh, but <laughs> well, he certainly won't reign as long as his mum. No, but the point is, is that we don't have too many heroes or, or celebrities in New Zealand. They're, the TV celebrities are neither here nor there, and the reality is in New Zealand is that politicians are our celebrities, and they fill the front page of every newspaper, um, you know, for those who still buy newspapers. And they lead all, you know, the first 10 minutes of the news is always filled with politicians. And that's not just an election uh, in the election cycle. It's also outside of the election cycle. So they're kind of what I see to be our celebrities. And so we're really just celebrity observers, people like you and me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, it's very difficult to argue that they're not in our faces all the time. Not being a sportsman mm. or much interested in, in in sporting matters, I guess my heroes have tended to be, uh, New Zealand heroes anyway, um, have tended to be uh, politicians, um, the the heroic or, or anti-heroic uh, politi- politicians of our of our history, um, and for me, um, artists and poets and novelists 
mm. um, are, are, are heroes too. I mean, the the poet that I love the most and 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 quotes uh, very frequently is James K. Baxter, mm. who I just think is a national donga, and um, yeah, uh, they they tend to be my heroes. Uh, um, but that's probably because. I'm a fat, lazy bastard who never really enjoyed getting um, all muddy out on a field on a Saturday morning, so there. You should have taken up shooting. It's far more refined, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, at school, I I, uh, I did uh, enjoy archery. I mean, I think I was about the only person, so okay. I got to pick the, the best of the three longbows and... Uh, and, uh, and and was out there with a big straw target. I, I was never particularly good. You've got to be really strong and have a very steady hand you've, yeah, to be a you've good got, archer. You've, but... you've, you've got to start young, you know, like mm. you're a great history buff. I mean, I like, it's why I love reading your columns because you've got so much uh, history in them, and that is sadly lacking with the children that are sitting in the press gallery these days with the exception, of course, of Barry Soper and Audrey Young, but all the rest of them don't seem to have any sort of understanding of the dark days of Muldoon or, or even before that, whereas you and I do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. I simply don't understand how you can write about or think clearly about politics if you don't have a reasonably good grasp uh, on history. Uh, certainly uh, modern history, uh, but also the, the history that has you know, propelled our particular culture um, forward for so very long. And um, if you don't get that, if you don't understand that, I just don't see how you can write sensibly about politics. But there we are. Um, I, I have to say I agree with you. There, there is a, a tremendous lack of historical awareness among a great many uh, journalists. Uh, and those that do um, mention history do so from this weird, what I call Bridgerton um, mm. <laughs> perspective, where you dress people up but you you make sure that uh, the cast is suitably uh, diverse mm. uh, and that all the characters are, in fact, 21st century characters in fancy dress, yeah. and that's about it. Uh, I, I remember as a kid, you know, watching the BBC series, the great BBC series, historical series like Elizabeth R. or mm. The Six Wives of Henry VIII, yeah. Um, just superb um, pieces of work. Um, not not huge budget um, efforts as as they would be today, but they were brilliant. A because they had superb casts. Yeah. And B because the writers knew enough about history to actually inhabit the characters um, properly um, with the spirit of the ages in which. They lived and and acted, and so it was remarkable. Not just because these were hugely dramatic events that they were portraying, but you were seeing people that were actually different from us, whose motivations were different from us, mm. uh, who, or perhaps more truthful to say, whose obsessions 
um, were different from from our own. I mean, it's very difficult, for example, for people today to understand the importance of religion. Mm. Mm. Um, you and I are old enough, you know, to, to remember when religion was still a big part of New Zealand life. When I was a kid, yeah. Um, Every Sunday, I was off to Sunday school, and in the little country village where I grew up, two or three hundred people, you know, would turn up from all over um, the the surrounding countryside to the little Presbyterian church, mm. um, and you know, it was full, and the collection plate was full, and and uh, we 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 had a we had a minister living in the manse next door. Um, none of which is true now. I mean, I, I drive past Herbert North Otago mm. uh, or through it, um, blink and you miss Herbert. But I always try to stop if I've got time and kind of have a look at the school and the, and the church. Um, but the church has been deconsecrated now. It's, a, it's an historical mm. place. Most of, it, uh, most of the time it's shut up. Uh, but there was a time, you know, when when it was a really um, powerful institution in the local area, but it, across the country. I mean, there was a huge furore back in the 60s when Lloyd Gearing, who who was the master of Knox College, which was, you know, yep. the place That's from right. which all the Presbyterian ministers um, uh, were Trained. Uh, dispatched. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, and he was put on trial for heresy. <laughs> now, it, I mean, that just sounds so bizarre in 2023. But in the mid-60s, um, the master of Knox College was tried by the Presbyterian Synod for heresy. And the trial was followed, you know, um, like, like, like any major sort of murder trial today. And, and everyone had an opinion on it. And the good, solid, liberal Presbyterians of North Otago, a great many of them said, I will never darken um, the door of a Presbyterian church ever again. They were just so completely dumbfounded um, by, by what was happening. Um, and I remember 72 when the Catholic Church's uh, sort of semi-official newspaper, The Tablet, um, came out in favour of voting for the Labour Party. It was a big deal because there were a lot of Catholic New Zealanders and their yeah. votes mattered. Yeah, that's just not part of today's world. I mean, the religious figures in today's world tend to be the Brian Tamaki types um, who you know evoke more mirth or contempt uh, than than any sense of of reverence, uh, but you know when bishops and um, and cardinals and Presbyterian moderators spoke in the past, people people Listen. listened. Yeah. Very hard for for a younger generation to grasp that. Well, you've given me a little insight then, because I'd always wondered uh, about your upbringing. You know, you you've spoken about it in in some of your writings on your on your website, but I never understood that you were. Uh, Brought up a Presbyterian, and that answers. Oh all, yeah, that answers a lot of questions about how you essentially became a socialist, um, and and have stuck with that through most of your life. In fact, all of your life, really. Um, it's that Presbyterian, that that door 
Scottish upbringing through the church, and, and I can, <laughs> well, and, I can say, well, <laughs> and I can say that from a from a position of knowing, having been brought up in a Presbyterian church myself. Right. Well, I've got to I've got to qualify um, my own experience slightly by saying two kinds of Presbyterians emerged from Scotland and settled uh, in New Zealand yes. in the nineteenth century. Uh, if you go down to South Otago, you will find the doer, the the censorious, the puritanical um, the Presbyterians. That's the ones. That's the ones who do, to be punished. Who absolutely, yeah. Who would punish you for for dancing um, uh, on a Sunday or yeah. or, or 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 getting drunk or fornicating. Mm. Uh, outside the holy institution of marriage. Um, but um, f- also from Scotland came the Presbyterians who loved learning, um, who were part of that whole Scottish Enlightenment, the sort of Presbyterians that founded the University of Otago um, in 1869. Much more liberal. My my uncle uh, was one of those. He was a Presbyterian minister. He was also um, Master of Knox College uh, in uh-huh. the years after Lloyd Gearing. Um, so he he had uh, a much more liberal uh, view of Christianity than some of the the Dura Southlanders and South Otagoites. Um So so that was the tradition uh, in in which I was raised, um, rather than the very Dura, very moralistic, uh, very censorious Presbyterian Church. Uh, my uncle said something to me once which I have never ever forgotten uh, and which has been a a kind of uh, watch phrase for me over many many decades he said you know Chris human beings are neither wholly corrupt nor wholly unredeemable and I thought that was a wonderfully sort of Mm. I don't know compassionate uh, wise um, thing for a Presbyterian minister um, to say, uh, and as 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 you can hear, I uh, I stashed that one away yeah, in my yeah. memory cupboard. Isn't it funny mm. what we stash away? You know, I uh, you know I'm 55 years old this year, and I can remember in the seventh form, uh, my English teacher Graham Marshall, who went on to become the principal of Hutt Valley High School writing on my report, a splendid exam result achieved with little obvious effort. And I remember... (laughs) I used to get those too. (laughs) Chris has done very well this term. I have no idea how. (laughs) (laughs) He thought he was insulting me, and if Graham Marshall's uh, still listening, then I still remember that report that in the first term... Of my seventh form English, and uh, and I wear that badge with pride in it. You know, I'm, maybe I'll find that old report somewhere and frame it because I just loved the the. He was trying to yes, insult me, yes. and I took and I thought it was a it was praise. <laughs> oh no, no, it is. It's 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 high praise. That's right. That's right. In other words, he was saying you're not a swap. <laughs> no, that's um, right. You're dangerously clever. You're dangerously <laughs> clever because you can get good results without spotting for them. Yeah. Shocking, horrific. Yeah, Shouldn't this be allowed. It's the thing, though, isn't it? Um, in politics, we. Kind of underestimate people. Like I can remember, you remember we used to do that TV show with Martin Bradbury, and he'd 
he would just be raging with frustration because at some <laughs> at some time within the show, when you know, we were supposed to be opposing forces, you know, right versus left, you know, and yeah. and he was yeah. sitting there. I, I, damn Slater, he, he's always getting one over there. I'm going to get Chris Tron on. He'll get Slater. And then sometime in the show, you'd go, well, you know, I agree with Cam on that. And that, and he would, <laughs> he right. would rage and spit. And, and so I kind of made it a little goal every time you and I were together. And I do this with everything now. I try and uh, arrange the conversation in such a way that eventually we end up agreeing on something. Then that means I have to give something. It means you have to give something, and we've met somewhere in the middle where we agree. That's missing well, in, in politics, isn't it? It is. It is. I, I, I say more power to your elbow because it is uh, an art um, that uh, fewer and fewer people now um, even want to master the the art of finding the common ground, um, finding that that part of uh, a supposed opponent's or even worse, a, a supposed enemy's personality, which um, you you suddenly recognise as part of your own. Uh, you know, human beings have vastly more that unites them than divides them. Mm. Uh, if if you only um, look for uh, look for those things, uh, there are you know some, and you know if you study history, um, uh, you, you you can reel off the names mm. uh, who yes. are uh, who are irredeemable. Um, with all due respect to my dear departed uncle Peter, most of those um, are communists who are who are who are irredeemable. Well. Most of them tend to be um, uh, involved in in the political life, yeah. Uh, and uh, the worst of them um, are the ones who, uh, as as Stalin once joked to his cronies, most of the problems we face are caused by people. <laughs> Get rid of the people. Get rid of the problem. That's exactly what he did. And uh, yeah, well, yes, in uh, in in terrifyingly large numbers. That's I mean, right. you look at them. You know, Pol Pot, Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Mussolini. You know, they've all got you know socialism or communism in their titles. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 indeed, uh, and. Uh, uh, yeah, Benito. I think um, uh, he, he he would struggle to get in into the the the, the, the real villains club. Um, uh, he he, he, became, even... um, he became yeah he became um, more awful. I think the the, the more he came to depend um, on on Hitler. When when he was um, top of the pops, um, mm. because he of course was the first fascist and well, he's a populist, established his regime, he? yeah, long long before Hitler um, came to power, mm. he he, uh, he he wasn't the least bit impressed. <laughs> first time he met him, he, he reckoned that, that Hitler reminded him of of an overweight plumber. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which I thought was, was, was a perfectly Italian insult, you know. <laughs> now I'm picturing a pic of Adolf Hitler wearing Mario Brothers, you know, who overall said a little <laughs> And a big bushy must, Italian moustache, not a little clipped, you know, Hitler moustache. But, yes, yes. but um, you know, so we talked a little bit earlier about uh, hero, you talking about heroes? Who, who are your political heroes? And, and and I mean from the right and the left, if you've got any on the right, as well. Well, um, I well, should, should I say have a great deal of time? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I think Gordon Coates mm-hmm. um, was one of my political heroes. Now he was on the right of politics. But he was also um, the first New Zealand Prime Minister born here in New Zealand, as opposed to the British Isles. Mm. Uh, And he was um, in the Reform Party, I think, but he wasn't as as conservative uh, as as Bill Massey. Uh, And he was a, a pragmatic politician. And for that reason, the people who formed the National Party in 1936 were always wary of him. He had done things like devalue the dollar, and um, he had begun a program of social housing even before the Labour Party came to power. So the real diet and the wool conservatives always regarded Coates um, you know, with a rather jaundiced eye. Uh, so he he wasn't the first leader of of the National Party, which he should have been. He was he was far and away the most talented politician on the right, uh, and he was exactly the the right person to put up against um, Mickey Savage. And certainly, he would have done far better than Hamilton or or Holland against Peter Fraser. It took the Nats a few goes to get rid of the Labour Party. I mean, they got rid of them in the end after 14 long years. Um, but, but Coates was one of my heroes. And, uh, well, he actually and, served uh, in Peter uh, Fraser's I've, I've, war I've, administration. Yes, he did. Um, well, the, 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 there was an attempt to do what happened in the First World War, you know, to have a, a mm. coalition, essentially, a grand coalition of you know, all the talents, all the parties um, in a war cabinet. Uh, and Coates, yes, was part of that. The National Party pulled out of that. I think it, it regarded the, the government as too lenient on on unions who took advantage sometimes of the fact that uh, New Zealand was at war to, uh, mm. to get a bit more in the way of wages and conditions or to get improvements in what they thought were inadequate wages and conditions depending upon your point of view. But uh, but yes, yes, he served alongside some of the Labour, Labour guys. And I mean, the great fact that, that, that Holland in the end had to accept was that as long as National didn't uh, support the welfare state that Labour had created, as long as it promised to uh, abolish it, it, it was never going to get elected. And uh, it was only when National said, you know, we will leave the, the social welfare legislation in place um, that uh, that people said, ah, well, good, finally. 
and uh, and they voted against Labour, you know, for for a whole host of reasons. They didn't like uh, rationing, and yep. Labour had been in favour, and surely it was time for somebody new. Mm. Um, but Coates, um, and I might, like, one of the great villains, of course, is indeed Sid Holland, yes. um, a man who uh, who who may not have known much, but uh, what he did know, um, he he knew good and hard and, and, and gave it good and hard <laughs> to friend and foe alike. And of course, he presided over the uh, the waterfront dispute. And you in, had a crackhead, that's for sure. He certainly did. And he got the largest vote for National in its history. When yeah. he sought some um, uh, 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 validation of his actions against the Watersiders Union from the electorate, as as you would expect a good Democrat to do, he did that, and uh, the people rewarded him. I think fifty four percent of the vote, which is astonishing when you think about it today. And uh, yeah, he was he was he was a, a strong man, and set the pattern for strong men in the National Party. I might add. I think it's no accident uh, that uh, that uh, that Rob Muldoon was was able to have such a profound impact uh, on the National Party and on New Zealand because he he certainly uh, came from that tradition of strong men. Although he was a much more liberal man, Rob Muldoon, uh, than uh, than Holland. Mm. Um, and and uh, and indeed, he was a more liberal man than than Jack Marshall. Um, yeah. When the big conscience vote uh, on capital punishment uh, was held in the early sixties, uh, Jack Marshall voted for hanging, and then Rob Muldoon um, voted against it. So and just just touching yeah, on Rob Muldoon, uh, just touching on Rob Muldoon, he was. I I think we you and I probably agree on the legacy of Rob Muldoon in that his heart was in the right place, but he lacked the skills to deal with the crises that came before him as prime minister, particularly the oil shocks uh, and, you know, inflation and all of those sorts of things. But some of the things that he did or more, more appropriately Bill Birch did like the think big projects um, that Mm. were, seeking mm. to give us energy uh, sustainability and energy security were very forward-thinking. And uh, all of the green... I, I, I couldn't people. agree more. In fact, yeah, in fact, I, I used to joke that, um, that of course, it took Rob Muldoon to implement bills such as um, National Development <laughs> Programme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 would frequently say to my Labour comrades that uh, Rob Muldoon is the best leader that Labour never had. But uh, yeah, we well, we do agree. He, 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 yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he was a, a really um, astonishing politician, um, willing to take a stand. Um, and face down his his liberal critics um, in Parliament and in the news media and in academia, um, and he had the wit, he had the brain power to do it. What's more, um, and few people these days have that kind of uh, brain power, that that ability 
uh, to simply look, you know, his his critics in the eye, and and um, in many cases just take them apart, or, or uh, just laugh at them. And, and it, 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 well, yes, I mean that that chuckle of his was deadly. <laughs> yeah, um, and he and he and he had a you know he had a great uh, a wit, uh, a, a bit like um, Trump's wit. I mean, which is definitely there, but it's it's rather cruel. <laughs> but um, the one I remember most is when he said he had seen the shivers running all over Bill Rowling's body looking for a spine <laughs> to crawl up. <laughs> and then which, when... which, which is a beauty, you've got to admit. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah. the other one that's uh, famous is when you know people were saying, oh, there's a lot of New Zealanders leaving um, Australia. Oh, right. but a brain drain. He says, oh, yes, but... Uh... Uh, he commented that the the uh, average IQ um, in both countries was raised as a result of the immigration to Australia. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> in other words, we've, we've got rid of rid of all these thickos and they've gone to Australia, but they're thicker than we are. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's a that's a double barreled um, uh, uh, insult. Yeah, that's 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 a quite a blast. Um, Helen Clark. Yeah, he was, he, he was. Yeah, yeah. Helen she didn't Clark have was, that kind of wit. No, but she did. Oh, well, at least she, she she had a very yeah she had a very dry sense of humour, Helen. Yeah. Um, uh, but. She she wasn't able to sort of pull it off uh, in in public. She didn't have that ability that Muldoon had, you know, to deliver these lines, yeah, um, these insults, um, you know, while looking straight down the barrel of the camera, um, which is also a hard thing to do, which he mastered very early on, mm. and um, it gave them, you know, that sense of command. Um, at least people people attributed to him. Um, a, a, a tremendous uh, capacity for command, largely because he learned how to look down the barrel of a television camera. So he, well, was, he, he was staring straight he, at you. you know? he, he even did that when he was soused, you know, when he announced the snap selection. He stared down oh, the barrel yeah. of that camera. That, the journalist said to him, well, four weeks isn't much time for an election, Prime Minister. And he said, yes, well. It's not much time for my opponents. It's not either. much time for my opponents to get ready for an election, <laughs> is it? <laughs> Steering down the barrel of not the camera. As, not, as, not as finest moments, although you really have to feel for poor Sue Wood who's standing behind <laughs> trying, you... trying to keep trying to keep the, the look of absolute horror on her face. You know? I, I don't think she she uh, ever recovered from that. She had, I think she had PTSD from that day forward. <laughs> as you would, yeah. So yeah, I mean we're getting through the heroes, um, all the anti-heroes. Yeah. Helen Clark was 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 a, an impressive person. She if was not an entirely, if, if not an entirely likable one. Uh, if you were on the receiving end of Helen Clark's death stare, jeez. Yeah, as I was. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and Nicky, Nicky Hager cool. as well. <laughs> Nicky Hager as well. He got the death stare. Yeah, that oh, man. yes. Well, and 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 understandably, uh, uh, in my opinion, I mean, mm. whole seeds of mistrust. That was an ambush. 
an absolute and um, indisputable and undeniable and highly successful um, ambush because Labour was Labour was odds on, if not to get fifty percent of the voters, Jacinda did in twenty twenty to get something pretty damn close. Yeah. Um, but uh, but it it dwindled as a result of of Hager's intervention. Um, down to what was it, forty-one or some such thing? Yeah, it, 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 it wasn't bad, but it wasn't as sort of um, amazing as it could have been if if Nicky hadn't uh, and John Campbell, let's be fair, hadn't had oh, their wicked way with her. Um, yeah. Do you consider Nicky Hager to be a journalist, or do you um, perceive him to be, or or? believe him to be something other than a journalist, perhaps a protagonist or uh, a, a political oh, no, he's activist? A, he's, a, he's, he's a journalist, all right, but, he, but he's uh, one uh, with a very particular um, set of political objectives over the years. It's possible to be both, Cam, as you and I are probably well-placed to admit, <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, he would he would never um, be all that convincing, in my opinion. Um, trying to plead that he is nothing but a humble journalist with no mm. political motivations whatsoever, yeah, um, I think that would be that would be a very very hard position uh, for him to defend. And yeah, it's the you know. Journalism by ambush, yeah. Well, it's it's what people do these days. But I've I've never I've never been wildly keen on it. Um, I I guess I think as I've said to you before, um, mm. Cam, I had a very good, very good um, mentor when it came to journalism, and that was that was Warren Berryman, whose whose parents were were small time newspaper publishers. Yeah, you know the thought that uh, also edited the paper, and so I think he had journalism in his blood. He was an American; um, he had First Amendment in his blood as well, and and he just he he stuck to the journalistic code. Um, mm. If you were going to say something about an individual or an institution, you had you had to give them the right of reply. You couldn't just spring things on people um, without them giving their side of the story. If they chose not to give their side of the story, well, that's on them. You know, publish and be damned. Yeah. But but he had rules, you know, and um, mm. and he taught me those rules, and I was very very glad to know the man. It was it was very sad um, when cancer claimed him. Very sad indeed. Well, we we all can't live forever, but um, you know, um, sometimes uh, brilliant people are taken far too early. Well, yes, yes. I mean, and perhaps you know, mentioning uh, someone outside of of politics in its in its usually understood sense, Helen Kelly. I greatly mm. admired um, Helen Kelly, the uh, president of the CTU. Um, for the, the the way she conducted herself and the the stands she took, uh, and her fearlessness, she was of course the daughter of Pat Kelly, who I knew quite well from the Labour Party, someone from Liverpool originally, I think an Irish Liverpoolian. Mm. Um, he was a, a fairly impressive character too. But his his daughter was really quite 
quite special. And my belief is if, if she hadn't been taken by cancer, she would have become the president of the Labour Party and very quickly a member of parliament for the Labour Party. And I, I rather suspect um, she would have become uh, leader of the opposition and quite probably prime minister one day. Um, but that was one of those, you know, tragic counterfactuals. Mm. Um, those those might have been in history, which are fun to think about. But of course, you know, uh, it's, it's a rabbit hole you don't want to investigate too closely, <laughs> because because you know. Um, history is what it is, um, and that's what you got to deal with, not not what it might have been. Well, let's park the history for a bit and look at what we're looking at here. I've had I, I had a chat with Winston the other night, and he said this feels like 1996. And I was talking to a senior national MP, and they were saying uh, this feels like 1990, and everybody kind of is thinking 2017 that, that we're going to end up like that. What's your feel? I mean, this is where history becomes so important that you, you know, we know what those elections were like. We know what we were fought on. We know what 84 was like. We, we know what 1990 was like. We know what um, 1999 was like. What, where do you reckon this one is? Well, I think the election of 1999 is, is a good one. Um, to haul out and and dust off uh, because people don't really register, I think, that it was a minority government that was formed in 1999. Helen Clark and Jim Anderton, who was the leader of the Alliance, Mm. uh, they didn't have quite enough um, not once the votes were, were all counted and the Greens were in Parliament. Um, between them, they didn't have quite enough uh, to form a government. But in the days of St. Jeanette um, <laughs> and, and cuddly uh, Rod Donald, um, uh, you know, the Greens weren't going to pose any difficulties um, to Labour and the Alliance. They were quite happy to guarantee confidence and supply very early on. And so um, Helen and Jim were able to march in and sign their very, very short and pithy um, coalition agreement and, and, and crack on. Um, I think there is a very real possibility that we will get national enact with not quite enough uh, to form a government and therefore needing um, New Zealand first. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably confident that, uh, that New Zealand first is on track to get 5 or 6% of the vote. There are polls that are suggesting that already. Um, particularly now that ACT has had... What's that? Could we see Winston get higher than that, more closer to 10? Oh, uh, um, back in, in uh, 1999, no, he didn't do that well because no, of no, what he, he went with the National Party. Oh, now, oh, I see. Well, well, uh, if he does, then life is going to get, 
<laughs> this is going to get extremely interesting. Um, well, especially for David. But Seymour. I think he, I, yeah, I, I, I think he's, I think he's good for at least five or six, and that's probably all that's needed yeah. for him to hold um, the balance of power. Now, I don't for a moment think we're going to get another twenty seventeen. Um, no. The uh, the behaviour of of of, of Labour, particularly in relation to the Hapuapua report. Um, really drove um, uh, the iron into Winston's soul um, as far as Labour was was concerned. He thought that was an unforgivable um, uh, betrayal. Uh, and I think he's probably right, because I think if, if, if the public had been able to think about Hippopoe, and I'm pretty damn sure Winston would have campaigned hard on it, then I think it's most unlikely that he would have been turfed out of Parliament, and I think it's most unlikely that uh, that Labour would have got its 50% of the vote. It would have got a high vote, don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't have been as high uh, as it was, and Winston, I suspect, and New Zealand First would not have dipped below um, 5%. So... His anger there, I think, is entirely um, understandable and reasonable. Uh, so he's not going to go um, with the Labour Party, but neither, I suspect, is is he going to be quite as accommodating um, of his uh, natural allies, shall we say, as as the Greens were in 1999. Um, I, I I think he will he will acknowledge the the judgment of the country. Um, which I believe will be um, a, a, a decision in favour of the right, not the left. A change, um, a decision to change. And I, yeah, and I think he will um, at least initially um, be able to go along with a great many of the things um, that National and ACT are promising to do, because um, they're things which New Zealand First. Um, uh, promising uh, to do as well, yeah. The ticking off those will be pretty easy. Where I, I see the difficulties arising uh, are when National Enact um, uh, start putting their first budget uh, together. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that's going to be a, a, a very interesting thing for Winston to watch, I suspect, because yeah. uh, while he will not go with with Labour um, or, or its uh, allies further to the left, he will have the numbers to prevent a budget being passed. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and also the numbers to to, pre, to prevent a budget from being defeated. I mean, this is people seldom take the the kingmaker role any further than the election night and the few days after it. Um, no, it's, it's all about supply. Uh, but yeah, because supply is the absolutely crucial thing a government must have, and. The reason that governments in New Zealand almost always get supply is because, although it's never been put to the test um, in any way, really, in the last hundred years um, that I'm aware of, we've never had a follow-on election. 
No. We've never had an election so inconclusive um, that we had to hold another one within three or four months. Yeah, um, We've had a couple of, of genuine snap elections, uh, one in 51, one in 84, but they were well into the governing party's term and they and they were about um, you know other things. Well, that, they were contrived. That, they were contrived. Yeah. I mean, they, so, they contrived a crisis to have a snap election, and and then oh, they were bundled from power. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the, the the eighty-four one is a is a bit of a is a bit of a mystery. Um, uh, some people say that 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 Muldoon has simply you know given up um, being able to write a, a budget because <laughs> things had just reached such um, a pass that that he could work out how to do it. Um, that's that's one point of view. The other one was um, that uh, the numbers in the house, which had been very very close anyway after the eighty one election, um, were making life too difficult and he wasn't going to be held to ransom so he called the snap election yeah helen clark um, contrived a, a snap election too though didn't i think yes yeah, yeah i think she she called it she called it earlier than she needed to i don't know whether it really fits the snap election one but she manipulated the political environment to her own advantage i think mm. um well which as you do when you're the prime minister of a country of but but getting back, yeah, getting back to to a follow-on election, the reason we haven't had one is that all the experts, the political scientists, the pundits of every stripe, say any party that forced a follow-on election would be punished mercilessly by the electorate. Um, they'd be lucky to remain in Parliament, especially if they were a small party. They'd be wiped out. And this is this this sort of conventional wisdom has had a a very successful disciplinary effect on smaller parties, but um, I've never been entirely sure whether the pundits and the professors are right about this. You imagine this for a scenario, Cam. National enact. Um, driven by economic circumstances over which they have little control, are contemplating a genuine and pretty hardcore austerity budget. And Winston says, I didn't campaign on these sort of policies, and I don't support them, and I'm not going to vote for a budget which will impose them. And everyone takes a deep breath and all the journalists start squealing at the same moment saying, are you going to force the country to an election? Um, and Winston says to them, if the government doesn't step away from these policies, that is the proper course of action. Mm. And then his pitch to the country is, well, you've seen what ACT is like as a partner for the National Party. Mm. And it hasn't been a very pretty sight. Perhaps it's time to give National a more moderate, 
a more pragmatic, a more compassionate partner ourselves, New Zealand first. Yeah. Now, you see, I reckon that might just work. I think the people of New Zealand might go, yeah, well, we don't want the left back. But, Jesus, that David Seymour and his people are pretty scary. And National does need someone, you know, with his hand on the handbrake. Right, yep. Um, and, and they just might buy it. They just might buy it. And that would really change New Zealand politics because then the magic spell would be broken. Yeah. Then the smaller parties would go, well, we'll put it to the people, shall we? And, you see, no one has ever dared <laughs> to do that for fear of being wiped out, as all the professors and the pundits have warned them. Um, so it's hung like the sword of Damocles over the heads of the smaller parties uh, ever since MMP uh, was introduced. But um, at some point, someone's going to find out whether that sword of Damocles is made of steel or whether it's made of plastic. Well, that's right, isn't it? And uh, so so how then do you see Christopher Hipkins' you know, announcement that he's not going to work with Winston Peters? What did you make of that? I've read your article on, on interest.co.nz. I found it mm. fascinating, but but tell the listeners here. I found it bizarre, but I want to know what you you thought about that announcement. Considering Winston had already ruled out Labor like three or four months earlier. <laughs> Look, I think Labor is in the territory of the desperate now, and I think Chris Hipkins. Uh, who has a pretty mean political streak running from, uh, which I first encountered, uh, oh, many years ago at the Labour Party conference uh, where Paddy Gower pronounced that, uh, uh, that David Cunliffe was coming for David Shearer. Uh, it was also the, the, the conference where the rank and file of the party um, managed to force upon a very reluctant caucus the rules for electing a leader. And I saw Chris Hipkins just furious, uh, just raging at the microphone over what he saw as a very bad idea in relation to um, electing um, Labour's leader. He also said something to me as he came into the conference venue, which was completely out of the blue. I don't think I'd ever spoken to him face-to-face before. And the first words he said to me was, Chris, the enemy lies within, which I thought was a very strange thing to say. Um, to a journalist of of, of whatever sort. Um, <laughs> there we are. Um, I remember I wrote about it uh, at the time. And I think that, that Labour is in the bunker now and it's grasping onto those issues, those causes uh, for which it has been prepared um, to do stuff over the last uh, three, six years. Stuff relating to gender, stuff relating um, to ethnicity, uh, 
the stuff that really divides the country. Um, uh, something just a wee bit Orwellian about uh, picking on on the things that have divided the country and and uh, passing that off as a speech for unity. But there we go. Uh, that's uh, that's what he did and. You know, I think I ended that by saying, well, we'll find out, you know, just um, mm. just which New Zealand is the larger, Labour's or the, or, or the right's. Uh, my, my, my gut feeling is that the right will, will have more takers. Uh, is there, for a, its, is there um, a right, though? Than, than the left. Uh, is there a right? I mean, you know, oh. let's look at the National well, Party, right? The Overton window was shifted considerably by Helen Clark towards the left. And John and and John and, and John Key. Key. Yeah. He moved the National or, Party. Or, or, to yeah, or John or yeah. That's right. John John Key kept it where it was. Yeah. Uh, I agree. But Christopher um, Luxon Key, is um, entirely woke. As is Chris Bishop and Nicola Willis and Erica Stanford and the other people that are in the new brains trust of the National Party. And I don't. Yeah, do, look, I, I mean, I, I, I would to the left of Helen Clark's Labour Party now. <laughs> well, I, I'm not so sure about Luxon. I think Luxon is just new. He's politically um, callow um, fellow, and has been led by the nose. It seems to me. Um, I mean, he's simply not been in Parliament long enough to be uh, an effective leader. Uh, just you know, being the boss of a big corporation is not the same as being prime minister. No, exactly. I mean, the power relationships are all different, and the skills you need are all different. Um, but I certainly agree that uh, that Nicola and and Chris Bishop and uh, and Erica Stanford. I mean, they certainly fit the description um, of of national liberals, shall we say. So that's my cat clock in the background, by the way. My, I inherited that from my wife. Uh, a cat meows on the R. It's quite disconcerting. But anyway, um, so, yeah, they would be to the left of many people in the Democratic Party um, yeah. in the United States. So perhaps the, the best thing to say is they're right-wing in New Zealand terms. But but you see, from my perspective, I would say that Labour uh, now is, is very close to national in terms of its economic approach. Mm. Uh, both parties, there are elements, strong elements in both parties that, that fit the description of woke. And yeah, I think part of the reason there is so much frustration and, dare I say it, rage out there in the electorate is because the two major parties are just so similar and so immovable in terms of people's desire for a change, not just of government, but a change in the way we do things. I mean, you and I are old enough to... to mm remember when New Zealand could build the largest earth dam in New Zealand across the Waitaki River in about five years on budget. Mm. Right? Well, we could do stuff, right? We could do, so we built 
thousands of state houses. Well, look at National Manipuri. as Manipuri well as Labor. Games, uh, yeah. An engineering uh, like, and, 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 and That's right. An astonishing piece of civil engineering. We could do that, right? What has happened to us, Cam, that we can't now seem to do anything? Except argue. Um, except, except, well, yeah, except argue. And if it's a civil engineering project, it takes forever and the cost keeps going up and up and up and up and up into the into the blue or down into the red more likely but um but wow you know it's it, it it's a feeling that you know there's a famous song which came out 10 15 years ago um from a guy called McMurtry I think James McMurtry uh, in the United States and it's called simply we can't make it here anymore um, and it knocks some um, um, Oliver Anthony's uh, anthem into a cocked hat, although his is very good and very timely, I mm. might say. His Rich Man North of Richmond, a yeah. fantastic song. But Can't Make It Here Anymore is a, just an anthem which goes through the same process um, that I've just alluded to here in New Zealand that that uh, has afflicted America, this 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 giant of a country, uh, which bestrode the world, which now can't seem to tie its shoelaces. Well, we've spoken for about an hour, and I, you and I could speak for a lot longer, Chris. But just before we wrap this up, I'd just like to hear your prediction for where you think things are going to land in this election. Okay, I think. Uh, between them, uh, National and ACT will come very close to a majority if they don't actually cross the line. I mean, I'd, I'd say the most likely result is a National Act win. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, it is always a mistake to rule out Winston Peters in New Zealand politics. And so my pick is uh, for a National Act minority government kept in power um, by New Zealand First, which will certainly um, give it confidence if it comes to that on the floor of the House, but maybe less forthcoming uh, in terms of hard and fast promises in relation to supply. Uh, although I think it's always fair to say in relation to Winston Peters, that his primary goal always is to give the voters of New Zealand a good government, or at least uh, a stable government at mm. the end of, a, of any election process. And I think that is what will drive him. Um, so his judgment and his actions will be determined by whether or not he thinks the government that emerges is a good one or likely to be a stable one um, uh, but uh, uh, I think those are the three parties that are going to call the shots uh, for the next uh, few months, probably for the next uh, three years. Uh, if if the left somehow wins, uh, I will be astonished, and frankly, I will be alarmed because 
the left of today is not the left I grew up in. Nothing like it. You're without a party, Nothing Chris. like it. You're without a party to I support, am. Chris. Um, I, I'm, I'm without the sort of party I would, I, would, I would like to support. I mean, gone are the days when I could vote for the alliance with a smile. Gone are the days when, through slightly um, clenched teeth, I would give my vote to the Greens just to make sure that, uh, you know, the uh, Labour Party uh, had, had something to its left. But the, the behaviour of the last uh, six years uh, on the part of those two parties just precludes me voting for them this time. Perhaps there will be a, a cleansing of the Georgian stables, if I may get all classical, um, after this election. I hope so. Um, but no, I think uh, looking around, um, New Zealand first is, is, is where I would land in all probability. Not with you know, any who great would, enthusiasm. Who would, because who we, would ever because... have thought, Chris Trotter, that you and I would be on the same page in an election? <laughs> yeah. Well, perhaps those who listen closely during those debates on, on, on Martin Bradbury's show. But apart from them, not many, if any. <laughs> well, you know, the, the times that we've come through the last six years have uh, made for strange bedfellows and you know, I hope Indeed that uh, I hope that the listeners can get a better understanding of where I come from because I bother to talk to people like you, Chris. Okay, well, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Cam, as always. Uh, so you take care. All right, I appreciate you coming on to the crunch, and uh, once again, I've totally enjoyed our conversation, and we always do that. We must do it over a chardonnay or a, or a beer sometime. Indeed, although I'm I'm a red man these oh, days. Perfect. Always have been. Well, we'll find yeah. a, a Pinot yeah. Noir or a Merlot. Yeah, a good Pinot Noir from Central Otago. I'm yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe a Roaring Meg or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. All or right. perhaps in honour of our discussion, a Mount Difficulty. <laughs> well, nothing's too <laughs> difficult if we continue to talk with each other. And amen to that, and may that apply across our sad and troubled but still potentially wonderful New Zealand. Thank you very much, Chris Trotter. Thank you, Ken. I did tell you Chris Trotter was interesting. I have a huge respect for Chris, and he is certainly someone that I'd have a drink with. I always value my chats with Chris, and that's why he was this week's political tragic. Fill that mailbag with comments about Chris Trotter by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.